2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're really going to look at chapters 1 and 2. Do you know this, that there are times that you and I are called to suffer for his namesake or to suffer for the kingdom of God? 1 Peter 2 says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his footsteps. The reality of this, people who tell you that the moment that you get saved, from then on you won't have any more troubles, or everything's going to be hunky-dory, are teaching a false doctrine to you. They're lying to you. Now, I will tell you this, my life is much better because I follow the Lord, because in the times of difficulties, I have the Lord there to sustain me, because in times of difficulties, we have him to rely upon, him to trust in. He protects us in many things, but there is a suffering, there is a persecution, there is a difficulty that you are going to face because you are following Jesus. It may not be that someone sees your bumper sticker on your car, honk if I love Jesus, and rams you. But there is a suffering when you determine in your heart that I'm going to follow God. It's as if there is a target on your back. The enemy comes against you. You saying no to your flesh, there's a certain form of suffering that that involves. Doing things God's way in the short term. There is a degree of suffering or pain or trials that you have to face because simply you are following the Lord. Paul reminds them, as Paul is saying this to him, Paul reminds them, he says, but God is just. God judges rightly. God holds the scales of justice in his hands. And Paul tells them, says that God will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. He says God's going to pay them back. The question that people ask about God's justice is when. When is God going to pay back the people who are troubling me? And to be honest with you, you probably won't necessarily like his answer. Because what Paul says to him, Paul tells him that this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He goes on to say, he'll punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Who is God going to punish? Those who do not know him and those who do not obey the gospel. Those who do not obey his word will suffer punishment at the coming of the Lord. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Now, there's two aspects of this punishment that are spoken here. The first is that they're going to be punished with everlasting punishment. The second is that they're going to be shut out from the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you. And there again, Paul is addressing the fact he's saying these people are being persecuted And they're calling for God's justice. And he says, well, God's going to punish them with eternal judgment. I don't know about you. There's some people I just wish he'd make say, I'm sorry. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know we got to do this eternal judgment thing. Just make him say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Okay. But he says that they're going to be this eternal judgment. The scripture teaches us that those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel... 
those who rebel against God, will be cast into the lake of fire that burns continually. There's another aspect of God's judgment, though. And that is that they will be shut out from the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine what it would be like to be eternally shut out from God's presence? I don't know about you, but before I come to know the Lord, I knew what it meant to be separated from God. I knew I had an idea of what it was like to be separated from his presence. And until you come to know Christ and have your sins forgiven, sometimes you don't realize how dark it was in that place. Okay? But all of us have known what it is to have our sins separate us from God. You walked with the Lord and you choose to sin or disobey. And you know, you know that grieving of your spirit when you're living in disobedience to the Lord. You know the heaviness that comes upon you. You know the separation. You know what I'm talking about. When you're walking in the flesh and doing what you want, you know how that grieves your spirit. Because you know that that relationship with God that is separated, that there's a hindrance there. Well, even in the midst of that, that cannot compare. Because in that state, the Holy Spirit is constantly calling you. Even in that place of being separated from God in your sin, the Holy Spirit is constantly calling to you and drawing you and wooing you. He's calling you. So you don't know, and I don't know, that what it means to be eternally separated from the presence of God, for the door to be shut and us to be locked out from his presence. The sheer hopelessness of being shut out from God's presence is unimaginable. Now the scripture says that this is going to take place on the day that God comes to be glorified in his people. Paul goes on to say, With this in mind, he says, we constantly pray for you, that our God may count you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. So he's saying that God has a purpose and he has a work for you to do. And he's praying that God's purposes and his work for your life would be fulfilled. That's Paul's desire for them. He said, we pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, do you realize that God's purpose... God has a purpose, and he has a work for you and I to do. His desire is for his glory to be revealed through you. That you'd be vessels of honor for God. That as people look at you, they see the glory of God evidenced in your life. Now we're going on. The people at Thessalonica had become shaken in their faith. And that was chapter 1. In chapter 2, Paul writes to address this. They have become shaken in their faith because they hear about the day of the Lord. There's these false reports that the day of the Lord is here. It's now. It's taking place right now. What was the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is whenever Jesus comes to call his church. Pierce calls his church to himself. It involves the millennial reign of Christ, the seven years of tribulation. And it involves the final judgment. And so this day of the Lord in which God comes, there was these false reports, and they came from a couple different areas. There was a letter being sent around that was supposed to be from Paul. And it was signed as if it was from Paul, but Paul didn't write this letter. And it was saying that the day of the Lord was here. 
there were some false prophets who were prophesying that the day of the Lord had come. And then there was these false reports. Well, I heard from over here that it's been said. And so there's these reports. And when the people hear it, they're under tribulation. They're facing trials. And when they hear this, they begin to be flustered in their faith. Okay, they're like, what's going on? What's happening? They begin to doubt and get confused. So Paul writes to them with the purpose of strengthening their faith. Okay, and that's where we're at here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Second chapter verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has come. Okay, we already told you that, right? Don't become unsettled. It didn't come from us. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. You can underline that. That day will not come until the rebellion occurs. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He goes on to say, He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him back. So that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. So there's a secret power that it's at work, this power of lawlessness, but it's being restrained. The Holy Spirit is restraining, holding back. Okay, And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus Christ will overthrow with the breath of his mouth. The enemy, I want to say this to you, I want you to get this in your heart. The enemy who is at work to destroy mankind, who is at work to tear down, the enemy who is wrecking havoc, who is being restrained, he's going to be released. But in a moment, I want you to see what happens. In a moment, the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy the splendor of his coming. The enemy is going to be defeated and destroyed simply with the breath of his mouth. Just with one word. The enemy who is wrecking such havoc and tearing down and destroying and attacking the people of God in a moment at the proper time with the breath of his mouth. Not even raising a finger. But with the breath of his mouth, the enemy is going to be destroyed. Somebody should say praise the Lord for that. He will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish, I want you to look at this, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe a lie 
And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Now, have you ever gone to a restaurant and you sit down and they bring out like an appetizer and then they bring out the soup and then they bring out salad and then they bring out your main entree and then they bring out a dessert. And then they bring out coffee. If you've been to a restaurant like that, you notice that there's sometimes, like they're giving you too much to eat at one sitting. You know what I mean? What we're giving you today is really too much for us in 40 minutes to go over. We're going to focus upon one portion of the verse, one aspect that's going to take place. Because before the Lord appears, before the Lord comes, before the Antichrist sets up his rule... There's going to be some things before God comes and raptures his church. There's going to be some things that take place. And say we're afraid that the Lord had already come. That the day of the Lord was already here in the judgment. And they were in the middle of the the time of tribulation. And Paul writes to him and he says, no, settle down. There's some things that have to take place. The focus that we're going to focus upon today is what we found here. That day will not come until the rebellion occurs. It's the second part of verse 3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Before the Lord comes, there is going to be a great falling away. Before Jesus comes, there's going to be a great, the scripture referred to it as a great apostasy. The King James Version says this, let no man... Deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, what we have to understand here is that before the Lord comes, there is going to be this great rebellion. A rebellion against God. A rebellion against his word. The meaning of it would be a great apostasy or a great falling away. Okay? Throughout time, from the time that people have come to know that Jesus came and set up his earthly ministry, and even back to the people understood, the Jewish people began to understand who God was. Throughout time, we could refer to it as an attrition. There's people who come, and they come into relationship with God. They come and begin to follow him. And the scripture talks about the seed that's thrown on stony ground. It begins to grow up a little bit. But whenever the cares of life and the things come, and it's like it springs up, but then when the heat comes, it kind of dies out. All throughout time, there's been people who have come to a relationship to know Christ. And then you've seen them. Maybe they were the people, maybe it was one of your leaders. You've probably seen it. If you've known Christ for any period of time, I would say you've probably seen it. Maybe it was a mentor. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a pastor who at one time they were on fire for God. Like I said, it may have been the person who led you to know Christ. And when you were growing up, maybe you grew up in the church and a person who had such a zeal and passion for God. And something happened in their life that before you knew it, they began to walk away from their faith. They began to abandon their faith. Their zeal for God began to dissipate. And you look at them now, and the principle is this. 
you can tell a tree by its fruit. I don't have to be a brain surgeon to recognize that when an apple tree has an apple on it, that it's probably an apple tree. There's symptoms that speak to what's going on. When I'm driving down the road, if on my car, if steam begins to come flying out from under the hood, I'm not a mechanic. But steam begins to come out from under the hood, the lights begin to flash, the temperature gauge goes over to the top and pegs out, and the car stops running. It's probably not a flat tire. It's probably not. I probably have a problem with a broken hose, maybe something with my radiator, maybe something with the water pump. Now, I'm not a mechanic, but there's symptoms that speak to what the situation may be. The fruit speaks to something. When you look at people, when you see their lives, that you see people who at one day their passion was for Jesus. At one day their zeal was for God. At one time they were seeking after the Lord. And then something comes along in their lives and you see them now and they don't want anything to do with the Lord. They don't want to talk about the Lord. You see them going back to their old way of life. What happens? We begin to recognize that the enemy is at work. He's trying to destroy. So all of us have seen this falling away, but it talks about this great rebellion. Before the Lord comes, there's going to be a great rebellion. A great falling away. It's not going to be the ordinary where we've seen it. It's almost like attrition. There's some who make it and follow after the Lord, and there's others who kind of just, where are they at six months from now? Where are they at a year from now? Well, they're back doing the same things that they were doing before. What's happening there? Okay? They're back in the worst state. The Word says that it would be better off not to come into the knowledge of Christ. It would be better off not to have your house cleaned. It would be better not whenever a person has been saved and delivered and set free from demonic spirits. You would be better off for that never to have happened than to turn to God, have your house cleaned, and go back to the old way of life because it says that the demons will come back and they'll bring seven times more. Now, those of you who know me, I'm not a demon chaser, but that's what the Word of God says. Those spirits will come back, they will bring seven times more, and they will be worse off than what they were at the beginning. Okay? So in this last days, the Word's telling us that there is going to be, it's going to be like an unprecedented rebellion against God. An apostasy. A denying of the faith. Let me read you the words of Jesus. Matthew 24, verse 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Hear that? Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus said that many will turn away from the faith. Oh, I didn't think you could do that. Jesus said there's going to be many who will turn away from the faith. Not a few, not one or two, but many will not just turn away from the faith. But listen to this. They will betray And hate one another. They'll turn away from the faith. They will deal treacherously with one another. This is the idea of people's hearts being filled with treachery 
and hatred. These are people who don't just walk away from God. They turn on the body. They're anti-God. They're anti-Christians. Have you ever met somebody who used to walk with the Lord and now they hate God? They hate Christians. And you know what? I'm going to say, I'm going to say something to you. What we've done is we've been suckered. Have you ever had someone trick you? I don't like being tricked. But we've been tricked because this is what happens. This is a demonic attack of the enemy. This is a scheme of the enemy. What he does is in the last days, in the days in which we live, the enemy is going to make it all out assault upon the people of God. And there's going to be those who abandon the faith and they will betray and hate one another. Wait, who said it? Who said it? Okay, did I make this up? This is straight from his word. He says they're going to betray and they're going to hate one another. Have you ever seen someone who at one time walked with the Lord and now they've left, they've walked away from their faith and they hate the body? They hate talking about the church? They hate Christians? Can I tell you why? Because it's an attack from Satan. He has deceived them. Now, this is what we do. We're like, oh, yeah, all those terrible Christians. No, friend, Satan has deceived them. He has blinded them. He has lied to them. He's trying to get them, and we fall into it. Oh, yeah, it's all those terrible Christians. No, it's Satan has blinded them. They can't see. They can't hear. They can't understand. They have a hatred towards the body of Christ. They have a hatred towards anything that has to do with God. I've heard it. I don't want it. They grow so bitter. What is that? When you get bitterness, when you get bitterness in your heart, I'm going to tell you something. You open up your spirit to the demonic. When you get bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, you want to see the enemy play havoc in a person's home or a person's life. Let bitterness. It's like witchcraft. It just opens up your spirit and the enemy comes in and he plays havoc on people. And we stand back and say, oh, yeah, that's so terrible what people have done to you. No, it's not. It's the enemy who has done it. They allow bitterness to get in their heart. And he says they're going to turn away from the faith and they're going to hate and betray one another. It's not just I don't want anything to do with God. It goes further than that where people come to the point where I don't want anything to do with God and I don't want anything to do with his people and I want to do whatever I can to defeat them or tear them down. Satan is deceiving people. He is lying to them. And he's using every kind of lie and deception that you and I can imagine. He's pouring them out in the days in which we live. I mean, Satan doesn't, he doesn't have any rules. You know, when you play with people, it's nice to know what the rules are. And doing business, it's like, okay, what's the rules? Are we both going to be honest here? Are we going to be fair? He doesn't have any rules. It's almost like even in war, there's rules of engagement in war. He don't have any rules. And he loves to deceive and manipulate and lie to people. And in the last days, he's going to do that to people, and their eyes are going to be blinded. And as the church, I'm just going to say this, we cannot, we cannot afford to be unaware of his schemes. When you see somebody who is just filled with bitterness against God, it's because they've been blinded. They've fallen away. They can blame it on first church or second church or their cousin or their grandmom, but I'm going to tell you who is at the root of it. And let me tell you who's down there pulling the strings. It's Satan himself. 
He's pulling those strings and he's manipulating them. And he's controlling them to get them to do what he would want them to do. With this, Jesus says, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. What are they going to deceive many? False prophets. What are they going to say? Do you think they're going to deceive many? Like people talk about false prophets. Do you think, what are they going to do? Are they going to say, what are these false prophets going to say? Oh, they're going to say that Jesus is going to come mid-trib and he's actually coming pre-trib. These false prophets are going to say, no, that Jesus is coming post-trib. That's not the false prophets. Jesus goes on to say this. Let me say this. He goes on to say that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Because there's so much wickedness and rebellion against God and sinfulness, because there's so much of doing it my way, because it's creeping into the church and because it's creeping into the body of Christ, where we do whatever I want or what makes me feel good or that kind of thing, because of that, the love of many is going to wax cold. Do you know this? Do you know that if you take a a little ember and pull it off by itself, you know it begins to go out? You ever notice that? Even a little charcoal briquette, you can pour the stuff on it. It needs the connection with other little charcoal briquettes to burn hot. It needs them. It's dependent. It's dependent upon those other little charcoal briquettes around it. In the same way, you and I are dependent upon one another to burn hot for the Lord. I mean, there's something about when you're on fire that helps me. There's something about when I'm on fire that helps you. There's something about when we're in connection with one another and seeking the Lord together that it multiplies the fire within us. You notice that? Whenever we're tired, whenever we're weary and someone else warms us by their spirit, it's like we need one another. We can't afford to be pulled apart from one another. We need to be close to one another. We need to draw strength from one another. Just like those goofy little charcoal briquettes, they're not going to accomplish their purpose. You can light them and set them by themselves and they begin to go out. You put them together and they begin to burn brightly in a fire. And that's what happens with us, our spirits, as we draw near to one another. As I said, there's a coldness. There's a coldness that's in, talk about the church. We're talking about the body of Jesus Christ. There's a coldness that wants to creep into the church. There's a coldness that wants to creep into Lighthouse. On a personal level, there's a coldness that's attempting to creep into your home and into your family. The enemy loves to see that coldness creep in upon us. Talk to you about symptoms. We can identify symptoms. Are you judging? Are you judging because you recognize that? No, it's the reality. There's, where there's smoke, there's some fire somewhere. All right? If you've not opened your, the Word this week, okay, I'll give you a break. Two weeks. <laughs> no, let's make it three. Might be getting a little chilly at your place. If you haven't opened the Word, you might, in three weeks, it might be getting a little chilly. Why? Because it's a symptom, friend. That's what it is. It's a symptom. If you've not spent time this week with the sole purpose of drawing near to God in prayer and worship, you just might be cooling down. 
If church is a burden to you, might be reason to be concerned. Oh, it's a burden. The psalmist wrote, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He said, I was glad when when I had that opportunity. What's happened, here's what we have to look at. When that passion and zeal begins to wane, what has happened, brother or sister? It used to be that a person could not wait for fellowship with other believers. And then they begin to avoid them. Can I tell you what's happening? It's getting a little chilly. They avoid other Christians. You know, I can tell people, when people don't want to talk to me, you'll see people when they, oh, they don't want to see the pastor. Well, I'm like, what did I do to him? I didn't do anything to him. But I can tell you what's happening. It's getting a little cold. They better put on a sweater. But I'm going to tell you, that sweater won't keep them warm. Maybe they can put on an overcoat. That's not going to warm them up. What is it? There's something that's going on in their spirit. You better check your temperature. When you don't want to give and you're holding back on giving of your time or your finances or your talents to the Lord, there's something wrong. It's a symptom of a greater problem. This is a big one that the Lord put on my heart. When you change your theology to fit your behavior, when we change our theology to fit our behavior, you know things are getting a little cold. That blows my mind. Let's just sit there for a minute. When you change your theology to fit what my actions are now, it's getting cold. It's funny, I've known people who have walked with the Lord for years and years, and all of a sudden, what they've believed forever, now they're like, well, I don't believe, you know. And can, what it is, is they're changing their theology. Things are getting cold. Things are getting cold in their heart. It's as if a warning light needs to come on and flash before us. 1 Timothy 4 says, The Spirit clearly says in the latter times, Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Deceiving spirits. The enemies that work to deceive you. At the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, when the serpent came and spoke to Eve, what did he ask her? Did God really say? That's what he said to her. Did God really say, you can't do this? Ah, he didn't mean that, because he knows when you do it, You'll be like him. God's trying to hold you back. God didn't really say that. That's the very beginning. From the very beginning, we see Satan's scheme. What was he? He was a liar then. What is he now? He's a liar now. What does he do now? What now? He comes and begins to get you to question. Did God... Did he really say it? Did he really say it? Did he really mean it? Did he really mean it? That's the deception that Satan is... And what happens is, if you will believe that lie, Satan can get you to do almost whatever it is that he wants you to do. He says, did God really say? Did God really mean it? What is behind that? That's demonic. 
Just like in the garden, it was, the enemy was trying to destroy mankind. The enemy is trying to destroy mankind with false teaching today. He wants you to doubt what God said. He wants you to doubt his word. In a rebellion, what is a, it's called a great rebellion. What is a rebellion? I'm not going to do what you told me to do. What is rebelliousness? I'm not going to come under authority. When a teenager is rebellious, what do they say? They may not say it, but their actions is, I'm not coming under your authority. You're not going to make me. I'm not going to listen to your rules. Whatever guidelines you establish. And the funny thing is with a rebellious person, it doesn't matter how far out you push the rules. No matter how far you push the rules out to accommodate them, they will always push them further. True? You say, oh, okay, well, I want Sally. I just want her to be happy. Or I want little Landon to be happy. And so, you know, you move the, okay, you can play out. You can't walk on the road. And so Landon wants to walk on the road. Okay, well, you can't walk in the middle of the road. And so then Landon goes out to there. And you say, okay, well, you can't lay down in the road. You know what I mean? If he's rebellious, he's rebellious. And so it doesn't matter how far back you push the rules, a rebellious person will keep pushing them further. It's the very principle. It's what it is. It says, I'm not going to come under authority. I'm not going to be told what to do. And that's the way it says in the last days. But listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 3. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedience to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. Unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Let them just keep doing whatever they want. Is what it says? It says, have nothing to do with them. We're going to wrap this up. The scripture very clearly teaches that before the Lord comes, there is going to be a great rebellion. It's referred to as a great falling away. It's referred to as an apostasy. It'll be a time in which people, the scripture also talks about, people will bring to themselves teachers having itching ears, to tell them what they want to hear. Well, I'll just change my theology. I'll just change who I listen to. And you, there again, you can find someone. You, you could. It doesn't matter whatever kind of weird thing you come up with. You can find somebody who will agree with you. you go on the internet, or you'll find somebody who will agree with your theology. There's going to be a great falling away. There's going to be a great rebellion. And I believe that its root is, and here again, you don't see me. You, you've known me well enough. I'm not chasing demons. Uh, when my car breaks down, it's probably because I didn't take care of it, not because of a demon. All right? Um, but before the Lord comes, there's going to be a season. And whenever the reality of it is, is when all hell breaks loose against the church. Satan's going to come against. He's going to come against the bride of Christ. He's going to come against his body. It's really a a last assault 
to destroy the bride. And the word says, this is not me making it up, that there's going to be many who get sucked up, get caught up in that rebellion. That there's going to be false teachers. They're going to tell them what they want to hear. And not just a few. There'll be a lot. This false teaching is not going to be, as I said, it's not going to be about pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. That really don't matter. What it's going to be, it's going to tell them that they're okay. Do whatever you want. It's going to deceive people until it's going to lull people to sleep. That day that, that we were out in the boat, whenever we had to jump in the water, right before I went in, I said a quick prayer, but I realized, I was like, God, we got to get everybody home. We got, I got to make sure everybody gets home. This is my, this is my part. This is my part of the kingdom. My part of the wall. I'm responsible. Remember when they rebuilt the wall? Why were they successful? Nehemiah, because he said, you're going to build the wall in front of your house. And you're going to fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives, your brothers and your sisters. Friend, sure part of the wall. If I'm a hireling out anywhere else on the wall, when things get tough, I can leave. If my brother's there, if my wife, if my son, if my daughter, I can't go. I can't go. I got to stay. I can't quit. I can't give up. God's placed us here, our place in the wall. See, we have a responsibility before God. The days in which we live, they're going to get vicious. There's going to be, what will happen is they'll turn on, if we're not careful, the enemy will have people turn on one another. They'll be vicious towards one another. Can't afford that. The enemy's at work. His purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. His purpose is to destroy your faith. His purpose is to take away, ultimately, he wants your eternal soul. So many times I preach to you about our joy, our peace. Really, it doesn't matter if he gets your joy and your peace. There's some some things that he can do. But if he accomplishes at stealing a person's faith and they abandon their faith and they walk away, what can a man, the scripture says, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You gain everything else and lose your soul. The enemy is that we're going to be in a time of just an all-out warfare where Satan is fighting for the soul's of mankind's, and you can't, God has placed you here, he's placed you in your place in the wall, and you're fighting for your sons and your daughters, and you can't leave, you can't walk away, my challenge for you, is what are you going to do, with the warning, that God gave us, you and I, each of us have to respond, we each have to respond to the word of God today, that in the midst of this falling away, and it says there are going to be many, the question is, Lord, I don't want it to be me. Because we've all seen those. We've seen the Sunday school teacher one day who was on fire for God and now wants nothing to do with God. The enemies that work to pull away, you got to fight. 
You've got to determine your heart. This isn't a time to play games with God. This isn't a time to change your theology. This isn't a time of compromise. This is a day. This, we're living in a period of time in which we need to seek God with all of our hearts. I want to close, but I want to give you an opportunity today. But I just believe this. I believe that God's spoken to people's hearts about the seriousness of this issue. He's spoken to you about the seriousness of today. That there's going to be people who abandon the faith. And maybe it's the person sitting beside you. Maybe it's your son or your daughter. Can I ask you today, what does God want from you? What is there going on in your life today that he's saying to you, I want you to get that out of your life now. That's going to hold you back. What is he saying to you of, you know what, you're starting down a wrong path. You're starting down a wrong path and you know it. And I'm telling you now to get off of that path. I'm telling you to change some actions. I'm telling you to change some behavior. I'm telling you to repent of some things. Friends, I want to say this to you. You're fighting. Please don't just get up and leave. I believe it's like like with Nehemiah that we're fighting for our sons, our daughters, our brothers our wives. And now's not the time for you to get down. And now's not the time for you to lose heart. And now's not the time for you to grow faint. But now's the time for you to press in to the Lord. Father God, I pray that as you've spoken to your people today, I know, Lord, that there are things that we have gone on today. But I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak very clearly and concisely to people. I just sense, Lord, that There's those who, they just know in their heart, they just say, Pastor, I'm in a dangerous place. I don't have to give any details of it. I just know I'm in a dangerous place. And I want to seek after God with all of my heart. I don't want to be one of those ones of the many who are going to fall away. And I want to be there whenever I see a brother or a sister who's in a dangerous place. I want to be one of the ones who say, Lord, I'll go in after them. Lord, I'll pull them back. Lord, I'll grab a hold of them. Father, I pray that you would accomplish what the Holy Spirit would desire to accomplish here at these altars today. In the name of Jesus.